You know, sometimes you ask God big questions like, God, where are you in my life? And sometimes God doesn't give you an answer. And you might be tempted to give up on God altogether. Well, let me tell you, friends, that's just one of the five easy steps to wreck your life. Now, as we continue this uh, series, I want to begin right off the top by giving credit to LifeChurch.tv for developing this message series and making all their resources available to other churches. So let me say it again, the Journey Church thanks you, LifeChurch.tv. Well, again, welcome today. Um, let me begin by asking everyone a question. Um, now, please don't answer it quickly in your mind or just try to brush it off. Really wrestle with it. And this is a question for those who are believers in Christ, those who are Christ followers, those who are Christians. Um, I want you to answer this. Um, was there a time in your life that you were honestly closer to God than you are today? Was there a time in your life that you were honestly closer to God than you are today? Now, before you answer it, let me just unpack that question for a moment. Um, I mean, this is what I want you to think about. I mean, maybe there was a time in the past when you were a little more passionate about the things of God. For example, maybe you spent more time in God's word and you just couldn't wait to see what God was going to say to you. And, and you'd read the Bible and you'd be like, whoa, that, that was just for me. Or perhaps you were so excited about church. You know, you, you'd come early and you'd sit in the front row because you just... You just didn't want to miss out. You wanted to be where the action was. You knew something was going to happen every time you got together with God's people and you got together in those worship, corporate worship times. Or perhaps you were so excited about what Christ had done in your life that any friend or relative that was not a believer in Jesus, I mean, you just were so excited about wanting that friend or relative or work associate or neighbor, you wanted them to meet Christ. And so you'd be praying for them, you'd be praying behind their back, and then you just look for any opportunity, you know, uh, to be able to talk about your faith in Christ and turn the talk to spiritual talk and try to get them to know Christ. And you would invite them to church like crazy. Or maybe you were a person of, of, of prayer. You spent a lot more time praying than you do now. You'd pray and God would answer your prayer and your faith. You'd be so excited. And, and, and you were at, maybe you were at one point, you could say, you know, there'd be times I just would feel like God was nudging me or speaking into my heart. And, and, and lead me to do something. And even though other people were saying, oh, you're crazy, I, I would go do it and I'd see God bless. But then somewhere along the way, all of those experiences and then some just begin to sort of, you know, burn out, calm down, just get a little stale, get a little cold. I mean, the passion just sort of calmed down. So let me ask again, I want to ask this question at the Brentwood campus, I want to ask this question here, and that is simply this, how many of you would say that there was a time at some other point of your life that you were really closer to God than you are today? 
Would you have the courage to even go, you know, I think that's where I'm at a little bit right now. Would you, would you raise your hand? Would you, would you, yeah, yeah, look, there's people raising their hand. Isn't that something? And the truth is, I can't help but think some of you want to raise your hand, but you just don't know what to do with that. So I know you're raising your heart hand somewhere in there. You know, let me tell you a story. There was a couple that had been married for over 20 years, and the husband was always driving a pickup truck, and when they were first dating and newlyweds, you know, he would put his, um, you know, left hand on the wheel, and he'd put his, you know, right hand, arm up on the, sort of the rest of the back of the seat, and, and you know, she would just kind of come in and snuggle in, and they would, you know, drive down the road and while he was listening to Pavarotti or Willie Nelson or Bono or something. You know, you can guess which one he probably listened to with the pickup truck. But anyway, <laughs> Pavarotti, right? However, you know, and, 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 when they were, and when they were dating and newlyweds, that's where she snuggled right in. 20 years goes by and he got a new pickup truck and he still gets in, he still puts his hand on the wheel and he still puts his arm up on the thing, but now she's sitting over on the other side of the pickup cab. And one day while they were driving, she looked at her and said, honey, what happened to us? Remember years ago when you were driving, I'd always be sitting there right by you, snuggling at your side? And he looked over at her and he said, well, all I can say is that I haven't moved. You know, you know, as we think about this question of how to drift from God, um, remember that God hasn't moved. God hasn't moved. Um, let's look at that poll, okay? Um, did you respond to it? So, you know, we talk about why people give up on God or start to drift from God in his church. And here's all these reasons people give. So let's look at the poll results. Let's see if anybody voted. Oh, okay, good. We got some response. So let's see what we got here. So um, 14% tragic circumstances, uh, conflict between science and faith. Um, interesting. Nobody, that, that did not cause people to walk away from church, or at least this group tonight. Um, hypocritical Christians. Whoa. It, well, okay, we're going to talk about that actually in a minute. Uh, busyness. Oh, Oh, huge, right? I, I can't help but think that if everybody had a smart device and could answer tonight, I think those last two would probably score even higher. Um, lack of Christian friends. Interesting. Someone noted that, and, or a few noted that, and unresolved doubts. Some noted that. Okay. Interesting. Um, you know, as we think about this whole idea of drifting, though, I, I remember reading a book uh, many, a few years back called A New Kind of Christian, and, and the author interestingly um, pointed something out about drifting uh, far from God. He said, one thing we got to be careful about, he says, let's say the circle represents the, the sort of the community of faith. And at the center, obviously, is Christ and our relationship to him. And, and he said, often we'll look at somebody and let's say, you know, they've made a profession of faith and, you know, they, they, they have all the sort of the Christian outwardness about them. They know the Christian language. They, they can talk. They say, I'm praying for you, brother, you know, and they can sort of make some interesting theological statements. And, and they're even been involved maybe in some ministry. They've even gone on a, on a mission trip and everything. And then, of course, we look at someone out here who maybe is really struggling. They, they have their doubts about God and 
and uh, you know they have their questions and, and whatnot, and they're sort of like that person in Jesus' parable about the religious person at the front of the church and the and the sinner at the back of the church, you know. And they would definitely be at the very back of at the church, if not out in the parking lot, you know, or somewhere out there right now. Heck, they may even tonight be at a at, you know somewhere else at their home at a bar doing something, and you may say they're so far from God. But this author made a very interesting point that often what happens, though, is someone in here sometimes, because of these issues of hypocritical Christians, disappointment, doubts, busyness, actually, if you were to look in their heart and see the trajectory of their faith, they're headed that way. They're actually starting to slip and slide. And this person way out here, you know, tonight maybe sitting in in a bar... And, and they're just finally saying, I'm tired of being drunk every weekend. I'm tired of doing another line of cocaine. I'm tired of just this, this culture that says, live for today and there's no hope for tomorrow. And I've had this friend, though, keep inviting me to the Journey Church. And I, and I have been resisting for the last three years. But, but you know what? I think I want to start coming and hearing what they say about this good news. Now, the author of this book says, who actually is getting closer to God. And, and I, I love this because if we took a frozen snapshot right now, we'd say, well, obviously this person. But their trajectory actually is going the other way. So again, when we think about this whole drift question, that is something else that um, is worth considering. Um, you know, have you heard that casting crown uh, song, The Altar and the Door. I love the f- front part of that song. Um, the, the main singer says this or sings this. I won't sing it. I'll just say the words. Careless, I am a reckless, I'm a wrong way, traveling slowly, unraveling, shell of a man, burnt out. I'm so numb now that the fire's just an ember way down in the corner of my cold, cold heart. What a great way to describe the danger of drifting. You know, today I want to talk to you about the five easy steps to lose your faith, to drift from God. And as we talk about this, I just want to tell you the good news is that it's rather easy to drift from God. Because you're going to have all sorts of help from the outside, from someone who loves to wreck your life, and his name is Satan. Your spiritual enemy, the great deceiver, the father of lies. In fact, if you're taking notes here... Whether you're doing it with your smart device or whether you're doing it just with the the notes on the program, here's a foundational thought throughout this whole series about five easy steps to wreck your life. Satan wants to give you those steps all the time, no matter what category we're talking about. Please understand that Satan wants to destroy your faith. It's his specialty. His mission is to steal, to kill, and destroy. And from the very beginning, if you go all the way back to Genesis, when God created Adam and Eve, and the evil one showed up in the form of a serpent, what was the first thing he basically said to Adam and Eve? He said, did God really say not to? In other words, let's question and let's weaken the authority of God because Satan loves to destroy our faith, to drive us away from God. So, for example, the Apostle Paul had a very heartfelt concern for the Corinthian believers. Because when you read the whole background of the Corinthian church, as you read through First and Second Corinthians, this church was really struggling in a lot of ways. And truthfully, at the very same time, I, I see us, we have all of our struggles even today here at the Journey Church. 
And here's what he says in 2 Corinthians 11, 3. He says, but I'm afraid just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, that your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. You know, isn't that interesting that Paul's pastoral concern is that we get led astray, that we drift, right? Now, in our family time for many years, we used to go to a cottage owned by Ray and Evelyn Short, who've been long, long-term members here at the Journey Church. And they'd give us their cottage for about a week or so each summer. And it was in a little place called Brown's Cove. And the water there was affected, though, by the Bay of Fundy's tides. And I remember at times going out on a summer afternoon while we were at the cottage and getting into one of the tire tubes and, you know, putting one of the kids who were much smaller at that point on my stomach and we'd paddle sort of out further out from the, from the shoreline. And, and I remember the sun shining and the summer breeze gently blowing and me starting to snooze. Good thing my l- child had a life jacket on. And before you knew it, I remember at times sort of, you know, coming to a few minutes later, thankful that my child was still with me, and then noticing that I was sort of drifting out of the cove because the, the tidal waters were taking me out. And it was not fun trying to get back. It was so easy to drift, I found, if you didn't pay attention. And many of you, you haven't been paying attention. You've drifted a long, long way from God. And here's what his word says in Hebrews 2.2. We must pay careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard so we do not drift away. So let's cut to the chase. If you just want to drift from God... You see, if you want to drift, rather than saying, I want God to use me every day of my life, I want to drift rather than saying, I want to experience God's blessing and his direction and peace in my life, rather than, you know, hearing his voice, rather than being used to make an eternal difference, you go, no, no, Dave, I don't want to have that type of Christian faith. No, what I want is to live a a sort of a, a stale comfortable, restricted, neutral type of faith. Please, that's really all I really, that's my aspirations, hopes, and dreams, okay? Well, here are five easy ways then to do that. Um, So here we go. Step one, you must first of all neglect your time with God. Very important. Psalm 63, one, David was in the desert of Judah and he cried out, oh God, you are my God earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my body longs for you. You cannot let that be your statement, like David said. You cannot long for more of God. You have to put him aside. So how do you do that? Well, first of all, don't seek him through his word. Don't you dare study his word. You know, the Bible is sharp and it's living and it's active and it will pierce you. It will renew your mind. It will build a foundation. It will break apart your cultural understanding of life. It will challenge you. It will challenge your family's values. It will challenge your work values. It will challenge everything. But don't open up God's word. Don't read it. Don't study it on a regular basis. Also, don't worship. And, and, and try to just be as sporadic as you can in your church attendance for worship. Just, just really, if you have to come to church, you know, come as late as possible. Leave as quick as possible. Um, and, and, oh, don't, don't engage in the music. 
Don't let God speak to you through the music. Just sit there, stare, stare at the ceiling, do what you need to do. Just try to avoid all the impact of even the worship music. And whatever you do, whether it's personally when you're alone or even when you come to church, just don't think about God. You know, instead of using your smart device to follow along the outline, you know, start checking the NFL scores for tomorrow. You know, start, start reading news, start checking out recipes or crafts or, you know, start thinking about mechanics or Na- NASA or, you know, whatever. Um, and don't get involved also in God's, God's community. For heaven's sakes, please don't do that. Don't, and don't give any money. Rationalize that. Don't serve. Um, and please don't use your spiritual gifts or your God-given abilities and talents because if you were going to use your spiritual gifts, you, you could possibly get spiritually fulfilled and you would st- want to start letting God make more of a difference in your life so you could make it more of a difference in others' lives. But please don't do that. And finally, don't pray. Just don't pray, um, because if you prayed and God heard your prayers and all of a sudden you started to have your faith starting to get built up, well, well, that would get dangerous. So if you're going to drift from God, first of all, do all that. Neglect your time with God. Very, very, very foundational. Number two, if you don't like your circumstances, blame God. You know, Proverbs 3, 5 says this, um, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Now, now think about that. See, if you don't, if you want to drift from God, just say to yourself, well, how stupid is that? Um, if you're going to trust him, I mean, that, that's dangerous because God could maybe break your heart. And besides, and let's, let's look what else it says here. And lean not on your own understanding. But how stupid is that? You say, I know I'm the smartest one. I'm the one who's got life figured out. I'll make my own choices. Thank you very much. So again, blame God if everything goes wrong, but just trust yourself. Oh, and here's another thing, though, if you're going to blame God. If some Christian disappoints you, if some Christian hurts you, well, that's really good because you can say, well, if that's the way that Christian acts at that church, I don't need to go to that church anymore. Blame whatever, whatever a Christian does then also on God. Say, God, I can't believe you let people like that into your church. And that's a surefire way to get hurt and drive a wedge between you and God. And remember, don't listen to what Jesus said when he said, you know, in this world you'll have trouble. Oh, no, 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 no. Just say to yourself, you know, if I have troubles, I can blame God. And that, again, will help you drift further from him. Now, here's the third step. Hang around bad influences. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. What does it say? It says, do not be misled. Let's read this together. Bad company corrupts good character. There's a connection here. Um, don't hang around any strong Christians. Make sure your closest friends have very little to do with Christ. Um, you know, don't, do thing, don't hang around with strong Christians because they'll do things like encourage you, they'll pray for you, they'll speak blessing over you, they'll, they'll, they'll challenge you, they'll love you enough to confront you when you need to be confronted even. But, but you don't have time for those know-it-all Christians. What you want to do is you want to hang around bad influences. Because if you hang around the bad influences long enough, the good news is they'll bring you down. Now, now don't miss this because this is key. If you're going to really drift from God, I highly encourage you that no matter what you do, always try to date or marry a non-believer. 
This is good. You should do this right, right, right away. Date or marry a non-believer. Why? Because they don't, they don't have to be grossly sinful. We're not talking about that. They can just be like a cultural Christian. People who claim to say, yeah, there's a Jesus, but they live as if he really doesn't exist. Date or marry people who are far from God because that will help you to drift from God as well. Here's, here's number four. As often as possible, give in to temptation. James 1, 14 and 15 says this, but each one of us is tempted by his own evil desire and he's dragged away and he's enticed. And then after that desire is conceived, it gives birth to what? It gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to what? Death. Now, let's just think about that. The further you drift from God, you will find yourself watching things in your life starting to die. You'll start to see spiritual death. And here's else what you need to do when you're given in temptation. When you're tempted, just tell, don't tell yourself this, I can do all things through Christ. Say, I can't do all things through Christ. And actually say, you know what? This temptation, this is just the way I am. This is who I am. I can't overcome it. People are just going to have to accept me the way I am. And if you start to feel guilty for whatever you're doing, just rename it, rationalize it. Don't say, oh, I struggle with internet pornography. That sounds bad. Rename it and call it something more culturally appropriate. Like, you know, I dabble once in a while in adult entertainment. Um, doesn't that sound better? Adult entertainment. Then rationalize it out and say, well, I'm just looking at this. At least I'm not doing the hunga bunga chunga bunga hunga. You know, I'm not doing that. Because if I was doing that, that would be bad. So when I look at the hunga bunga chunga bunga, Compared to dabbling in adult entertainment, well, that's not so bad. So again, here's the thing. You want to drift from God, just give in to temptation over and over and over and over. And finally, if you want to drift from God and wreck your faith, love this world more than you love God. Now, honestly, if we're honest, this is probably the very core of where our struggle all is for all of us. This is so powerful because 1 John 2.15 says this. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You know, all you have to do is fall more in love with the temporary pleasures of this world. And then the scripture promises you something. The love of God cannot live within you. This is so easy. Lust after the things of this world. Believe you are what you drive. Believe that you'll not be happy until you have a better house. Go into debt. Go into massive debt. Live selfishly. And only do what makes you happy in the moment. Don't ever play the movie. Don't believe all that mumbo-jumbo Bible stuff about how this world is temporary. Don't ever send your treasures up on ahead. And for goodness sake, don't ever be generous. Don't ever give sacrificially to the church ever. Don't ever make a difference and give to people who are in need. Fall more in love with the things of this world than you do with God. And then finally, those are the five steps. But if, if that doesn't completely help you drift from God, here's the last sort of cherry on top of it all. Fake it. If all else fails, fake it. You know, just pretend that you're living a Christian life when inwardly your heart is really far from God. And then you will join Many, many, many others throughout the centuries who faked their relationship with God. And you can say, well, Dave, has that ever happened before? Well, let's go back to Isaiah. 
the prophet who said this, the Lord, Isaiah says, the Lord says, these people, they come nearer to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips. They talk the talk. You can do that, that's not hard, but their hearts are far from me. And then even Jesus in the last book in Revelations, Revelations 3.1, he says, I know your deeds. I'm looking at your actions. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are what? But you are you're dead. Well, you may say, well, you're being really hard on us to, today. This is a challenging, uncomfortable message to hear for all of us. But I want you to understand, I'm not challenging you as much as I'm also challenging myself. You see, I think the thing that you have to understand is that when you come to pastoral ministry even, here I am, I'm an ordained minister, I've studied at seminary, I, I have lots of books in my library, I can look very spiritual, I, I, have, a, I have a big, thick Bible here, I've got, my, I've got more Bibles on this app than I can shake a stick at. I mean, I can, I can use all the right language. But I want to tell you the danger for your lead pastor of the Journey Church, that this can be just like another job. And there are seasons in my 26 years here when I felt tired and I started to snooze and I stopped paying attention and I started to drift. And there have been seasons I faked it. Dave, will you pray for me? Sure, I'll pray for you underneath. I'm not going to pray for you. I'm not praying for nobody. Dave, what has God been speaking to you in your word? Wow, you know what? So much I don't have time to tell you right now. <laughs> you know, my fear is that when, whether, when I've gone through those drifting times, that I make that my normal. But as I've journeyed with you, my fear is that for all of us at times, and I watch you spiritually, my fear as your pastor, as your shepherd, that I've seen you turn your drift into your new normal. You just say, well, that's the way it is. We don't have kids anymore come to church, so we don't need to serve as much now. Or I'm in a new season of life, so we don't need to be as, as diligent or focused before. And I'm thinking, no, God's given you a whole new chapter to serve and impact and reach all the other children that need to be reached, and all the next generations, but no, we're at a new place now. Or Dave, I've got a new job opportunity, and I'm busy, I'm focused another way. Or Dave, I've been hurt by people here at the church, so Dave, I'm, I'm not going to work through peacemaking or showing reconciliation. Jesus came for a reason at Christmas, but Dave, I'm not going to apply that to now my life today. No, no, Jesus gives forgiveness, but not me. I mean, Dave, no, sorry, I'm drifting, I'm drifting, and it becomes our new normal. And when I talk about what God would have us do together as a church, you know what really breaks my heart? Is I think, are you excited about what God wants to do in the next five years here? And for some of you, when you saw that video that now's the time to begin the work of Christmas, to find the lost, to feed the poor, to do the good works that God would have us do, you're going, yawn, ain't got time for that. And I'm thinking, wow, and yet, we are here for such a time as this. And we've forgotten what God has done in the past. And he wants to do new things in the future through us. 
and there's no stirring. And for others, there's no desire to love Christ or his church. For others, they've not heard a fresh word from God in so long. And you know what really bothers me is some of us, whether you're watching this through the video cast or whether you're here, you're just going to walk out of here completely unchanged from everything I'm saying right now. But others of you, I think, are tired of drifting. You've woken up and you now realize that you're out of the cove and you're headed for danger. And you're ready to return to your first love. You know, that's what this last slide I want you to look at here says. It it says, returning to your first love. Listen to what the call is. It says, you have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you've fallen. And then here's this simple gospel invitation. Repent and do the things you did at first. I, I want to finish reading that song by Casting Crown. Remember, I'm a burned out shell of a man unraveling and, the, and I have nothing left but a, you know ember in the cold, cold corner of my heart. Well, here's how the rest of the song goes. He says, Lord, this time I'll make it right. Here at the altar I lay my life. Your kingdom come, but my will was done. My heart is broken as I cry, like so many times before. But my eyes are dry before I leave the floor. Oh, Lord, I try, but this time, Jesus, how can I be sure I'll not lose my follow-through between the altar and the door? Here at the altar, oh, my world is so black and white. How could I ever falter what you've shown me to be right? I'm trying so hard to stop trying so hard. Just let you be who you are. Lord, you who you are in me. Jesus, I'm trying so hard to stop trying so hard. Jesus, let you be who you are. Lord, you who you are in me. Let's pray. God... We surrender to you today, and we ask that you would do a work with your word that goes beyond our human ability to create or even comprehend. God, I pray for those who are trying to shake this now. God, I pray that we would be hit with a spirit of repentance, that we would humble ourselves before you. And God, I thank you that for those today who have believed that they have been believers for way too long, but they have even fooled themselves and they have just let themselves drift. I thank you, God, that today in a spirit of repentance that they would call on your name and they would truly be spiritually born. God, I thank you that for those who have drifted who are coming back today, they, are, they want to repent, they want to change their course, they want to come back. May you give them the courage to be bold in their decisions to live for you. Well, as we think about that prayer, I want to, in just a moment here, turn it back over to Pastor Carolyn at the Brentwood campus. But I want to invite everyone to do something in this closing song. Usually our pattern is that in the closing song, we all stand up, the um, room managers come, we take our offering, and that's usually a good, a good way to end. But this time we're going to do something different. In this song, we want to just create a ministry moment where we're just going to invite you to, in a sense, get to stop and assess, where am I at with you, Lord, right now? And then we're going to ask you that while that song's being sung and you're standing there, that you might want to say, God, I need to make a fresh connection with you. But here's, the, here's the, probably the most important step I'm going to invite people to do. And we don't normally do this, but guess what? I think there's times we do need to do it. And it's that, that's place of a confession, 
And that's a very biblical idea that we confess. And we're, not, and we're confessing publicly. We're saying, God, this is who I want to be. God, I'm tired of drifting. I'm coming back to you. And, and again, coming back may mean different things for all of you, but you want to come back. You want to say, God, you know what? This is a new year, and this is a new place and a new time for me. You know, I, 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 I'm, a, I, I'm a great fan of, um, of the old Jimmy Stewart movie, that Christmas movie. Um, what's it called? It's a Wonderful Life. And there's that great scene that after he realized how far he had drifted in his love for his community and everything, and he sort of had that whole sort of weird mystical experience with that angel and everything, but he's back on the bridge, and he thought his life was all done, and he starts to say, I want to live again. I want to live again. You know what I, I have my hope for all of us here? Is that we'll say, I want to love again. I want to love again. I want to experience God's love in my life. I want to experience his presence. I want to see Christ leading me, guiding me. I want to experience, I need, if I need to repent of, of a sin, I'm going to repent of it. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to confess it. I'm going to move forward. So as I turn this over to Carolyn at this time, and so we're going to release this time to Carolyn. And Carolyn, I just encourage you, make this a ministry time in your, in your community of faith for people to be able to confess and to come and to be ministered to.